Are you ready to realize the true potential in your life and help others do the same? Get equipped to create a thriving future with the Secrets of Success podcast. Inspire others to live, lead, and work on purpose. And experience the joy of watching satisfaction and productivity come to life. And now, here's your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Now, before we get into the interview today, some of the things that John and I, Dr. Izzo, talk about is interesting as we said, you know, what is the purpose of the business? And I just wanted to take a minute that, you know, why do we bother doing all these Secrets of Success podcasts? Yes, we want to grow our platform. We want to grow our message. But really, if you actually look at the core, why does Syrogy exist? Why am I here? And our response to that is we want you to realize your potential, but that also means we want you to live on purpose. So all these insights, all these tools, all these resources, our company is about how do we serve you so that you can be your best self in creating. As John talks about in the interview, he says one of the number one things is self-awareness is critical to how I'm showing up. Oddly enough, that is the number one thing that Syrogy does is through the tools, through the assessments, is that we help you to create and go into this space of self-awareness, this consciousness, and this intentionality, to be able to own your space, to know who you are, know what you stand uh, for, but also you know, other support resources such as my book, The Quest for Purpose, where I take you through a roadmap so that you can get clear about why you're here. I do have a bias. Every single person listening to this, you have an assignment, you have a call, you have a purpose. It could be purposes, you know, dual or more than that, where you have a couple of things that you are really assigned to do. And it's in that space. Not only can we have the highest level of contribution, but we can also have the highest level of fulfillment and meaning and it's really you living your life. So I just want to encourage that everybody listening to the show today, that you have a purpose, that your business has a purpose, that you are serving and solving a problem. And how we serve here at CRG is we help people to get clear about who they are so that they can make intentional decisions in all elements of their life to be able to make a difference in other people's life as well. You know, lots of things going on in CRG these days. We have some exciting announcements. I'm just going to tease you. We have some things that are going on in the background. And in the next uh, few weeks, we'll make some announcements to you. But I do want to encourage that we continue to expand our offerings. And we have uh, completed the job style compatibility, the manager's job style. And so you can get these uh, reports where you compare the nature of the person to the nature of the position to make sure that we have a style fit. You know, we're talking about purpose and um, in the show today and be able to realize your potential. Well, I can't do that if the nature of the work doesn't play to my strengths. And so that's something to consider. And that is the job style compatibility as well as the manager's job style. So then you use that to compare it to the personal style indicator. Well, each week we want to have experts, content, insights that help you take your life to the next level. And today is no exception. I'm just so excited for our guest today, Dr. John Izzo. 
And John, uh, you have several books out, you know, Awakening Corporate Soul, Value Shift, The Five Secrets You Must Discover Before You Die, The Five Thieves of Happiness, Stepping Up. Uh, you probably don't have a life because you're just busy writing. And then you also have a book on purpose. So welcome to the show, John. Well, thank you. Great to be here. And I do have some friends in the business, colleagues who kind of uh, do uh, to get on me, say that I'm pretty... Uh, pretty uh, prolific in that regard, but I like writing. And so, uh, and I do have a life, <laughs> so we can talk about <laughs> Okay. It. And of course, we're just messing you. And so, uh, John, as an expert in this field of leadership and development, you know, corporate clients all around the world, what I always like to do at the beginning of the show is say, you know, what is this journey? How did you come to this? I mean, both of us are similar ages now, so we've had uh, some time in the marketplace. So what's your journey? What's your story? that brought you to this situation of being an expert and helping others to realize their potential? Well, you know, it's a really a good, uh, good question. And I always tell people that I am an accidental tourist into the uh, business world. Uh, I was kind of like a do-gooder growing up. You know, my biggest kind of mission was to make the world a better place. Uh, kind of got that from my uh, mom, I think, who died recently, who kind of mm. always said it was uh, more important to make a difference than to, to, to make a living. Uh, and, uh, so actually, I was a Presbyterian minister in my first career for uh, eight years uh, and uh, served parishes in the United States. Uh, and uh, But I always had a, a type A energy. I always was, even as a, a minister, I was kind of studying how to grow my church and how to lead better. And uh, the, the thing that got me uh, really interested in the world of business was actually an experience I had in Youngstown, Ohio, when I was pastoring a church there. And there was a, a steel mill, There's a lot of steel mills that were closing down, right. including one that, uh, that a 55-year-old man in my church named Hollis Hall was a supervisor there. And uh, make a long story short, I watched the way uh, he was treated at work during this uh, downsizing and ultimate closure of the mill. And, uh, and I saw in that community the, the impact that work had on people's lives. So when, when the workplace was dignified and respectful, people were better human beings uh, because of the experience at work. And in the case of Hollis Hall and others, the way they were treated at work literally destroyed their spirits, psychological, emotional, mm. and spiritual spirits. So that started a conversation for me. I wound up going back and getting a PhD in organizational communication, thinking at the time I'd go teach somewhere. And to make a long story short, I got an incredible fire in the belly for the impact work had on people's lives. Uh, and also the idea that if you treated people differently with more dignity, it probably was good business. So that's a long story short, because that's, you know, uh, over 35 years ago now when this journey began. And ever since then, uh, you know, uh, I found out I love the business world. I like the get it done type A energy of the business world. And I think through my books, my speaking and my consulting and coaching, I've managed to bring a kind of a humanity to the places mm. where I go to uh, to be and, and, uh, and have gotten a permission to speak about these kinds of things, not religious things, but really a, a spiritual conversation about what it means to be a leader and the role that business can play. So that's, that's how the journey began for me. And it's had a, you know, almost four decades or three, three and a half decades. Well, thank you, John, for that. And isn't it interesting, you know, with segue there a little bit is how 
common sense about treating people with respect and dignity is not necessarily common practice or hadn't been in the past. Maybe there's more now, but there's still all kinds of examples of organizations who really don't get it or leaders who don't get it. So here you are, you do this transition. Now you're in Vancouver now, and you said you were based in the U.S. How did you come to the West Coast? Well, uh, I'm kind of an odd duck in that way. My uh, mother was Canadian. Uh, my uh, mother's side of the family came to Halifax uh, from Germany in 1746. So, you know, 250 years ago. Uh, and uh, my father was an immigrant from Sicily. Uh, they got married, and I wound up growing up in New York City and spending summers in Nova Scotia. So I always had the kind of a foot in both countries. Uh, but then I married a Canadian, uh, you know, uh, you know, 25, 28 years ago, uh, and uh, you know, have, have lived in in Vancouver ever since. Well, congratulations and welcome to the West Coast. As those of us that have bias around that, John. So let's well, just thanks. take. So I lived in San Diego before that. So I'd already fallen in love with the West Coast. <laughs> I'd already decided which coast. No mm -hmm. insult to our East Coast listeners. Right. The East Coast is beautiful too. Well, there you go. And I have a business partner in Nova Scotia. Been to New York. So there's each uh, area has its own advantages and uniquenesses. So we'll honor that as part of this show. So when we think about, you know, bringing uh, really more heart and soul to businesses. What what were you discovering or what are you discovering right now? Like what what's missing in the leadership models out there? And then we'll get into the sort of the purpose conversation in a little bit. But what what do you see happening out there, John, that is not being done? And then what do we need to do about it? Well, Ken, I want to go back to something you said a moment ago, which is really true. You know, my, my wife always says, I can't believe people pay you to come and teach you this stuff, uh, because some <laughs> of this stuff, because she said this is stuff you should have learned in first grade. She's a teacher. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and what you said before is really true. Some really common um, sense ideas, things like um, caring about people's lives, uh, knowing about what's happening in their lives, uh, caring about their interests as well as your own, uh, doing the right thing from the, for the customer, even if uh, it causes short-term pain but builds mm. long-term loyalty you know the kind of things that you might say are really common sense are often not common practice in business um sometimes uh, you know just by default uh, you know i always use recognition as a great example a uh, very few we know that recognition is such a critical part of employee engagement and commitment uh, and performance and yet most leaders aren't very good at it. And I don't think it's because most uh, leaders don't want to make people feel recognized. They actually just don't have good discipline about how to do it. We can talk about that later if you'd like. Mm -hmm. So the first thing is I completely agree with you about, you know, this, a lot of these things are common sense, but not common practice in, in leaders in business. But the mm -hmm. second question you asked is what's missing is I think um, really there's two things missing uh, in a lot of businesses today that are, are really critical. The first is a long-term perspective, uh, which is thinking about long-term success rather than short-term success. I always tell people when they hire me that, uh, look, the things I'm going to teach you will not make you more successful in three months. Now, you might get a little bump, but 
this is, you know, frankly, you can treat people poorly, just be merciless, uh, go after everything you you get from your customers for the next three Mm -hmm. to six months. might even make you more successful than someone who's purpose-driven and does the right thing. But over the long term, companies that do the right thing uh, and treat people well do better. And we know that. The facts are in, and we can talk about that. So I think a first short-term perspective, the second thing is, over-focusing on profits instead of uh, providing service. And here I mean not customer service, but truly making a difference for your customers and making a difference for the society around you. I think only a, a small percentage of businesses get that that has always been the long-term secret to success in business. Profits are, as Steve Jobs said, a result of serving, not, um, you know, an end in of itself. And I think many businesses and leaders miss this simple fact. Think long term and know that Mm. all your profits are ultimately a reflection of how much you serve and make a difference for the people who you're trying to serve. If you don't do that, you won't be profitable. But this over-focus on profits is bad. So we have, and thank you, John, for that. We have... You know, we have the Wall Street thing in 2007, 8, 9, and what was revealed there. Here are CEOs that are paid millions and millions of dollars per year who really are not showing leadership in that. They're showing leadership in the opposite direction. How did these individuals get caught into this vortex of, you know, way down the bottom where everything is opposite? And then you have, you know, organizations who are billion dollar companies going under because they didn't take your advice? It's a really good question. I think there's uh, three things that really contribute to it. My wife always says, I always say there's three things before I know if there's three things, that might be the case, but I think there's three things. The first is, uh, you know, uh, the short-term tenure of CEOs. Bill Ford, who, who I know uh, pretty well, the chairman of, uh, of, of Ford Motor Company, you know, uh, Bill, you know, said to me, uh, you know, in his office uh, about six months ago, he said, you know, um, that tenure of CEOs is the elephant in the room in business across the globe today. Mm. I love what he said about his own business. He said, look, when your name is on the side of the building and probably will be long after you're dead, uh, you care about the reputation and the legacy your company leaves. So short-term CEOs. Mm. So because doing the right thing often isn't rewarded in the short term, but is always rewarded in the long term. So if you have CEOs only stay for a third period of time, they get rewarded for the wrong thing. So John, let's just stop there. I think that's, that's a, I don't want to lose your track, but I also don't want to lose this idea. Why are they short term? I mean, people are saying 24, 36 months. Is that the average tenure of fortune 500? Yeah. And uh, in that ballpark and a good question. Why? Uh, I really don't know why that's become the, the, the trend. Part of it is the punishing environment of uh, Wall Street uh, on quarterly profits. Now, of course, some leading companies like Unilever, Paul Pullman at Unilever, you know, and, and Google, you know, have now said we'll no longer report quarterly profits because we believe it's dysfunctional. We believe if, you know, we'll tell you about, you know, our kind of, you know, uh, performance, but we're not going to play the game. So, so the punishing uh, thing of Wall Street is part of it. And also, I think boards have become uh, the role of boards in business is fascinating. Uh, boards increasingly have become less independent. 
uh, less truly, I think, thoughtful about the long-term interests of the business. So boards bear some responsibility uh, as, as mm-hmm. well. Um, but again, the most successful long-term companies, companies like Southwest Airlines, you know, a great example, are almost always picking CEOs from within the company, whereas this trend to pick outsiders to come in and shake up the business, which, by the way, is sometimes needed, like it was at GE when Jack Wells came in or IBM when Lou Gerstner came in. But this is rare, and I think most boards make the mistake of thinking you constantly have to shake things up. So this is kind of a mindset that has emerged that's actually very destructive in some ways to long-term mm. success. Thank you for that. So then I'll let you get back on track John, with item number two. Yeah, so um, so the first reason is is this kind of uh, you know short term tenure of CEOs related is this is, is this punishing uh, environment of uh, of of uh, Wall Street. I think I think the uh, the, the the second thing uh, is that often Don Galloy, the the, the just uh, retired CEO of Manulife Financial, you know, who I've done a lot of work with, you know, Don Galloy said that. You know, almost every company began with a, a, a purpose to solve a problem that people were having. But mm-hmm. that as companies grow and they're, um, especially these really big companies, their products and services become so diversified that, um, that profits becomes a proxy for purpose. So in other words, when you only had one product, it was really clear how that one product solves someone's real problem. But then you've got hundreds of products and all these different divisions. And, and I, love what he, I love that idea that profit then becomes a proxy for purpose. Uh, I've not heard that before. That is a great uh, saying, John. I, I think we should embrace that one. As far as yeah, yeah, yeah. It, top it is, of mind. I, I kind of that was that was my wording of what Don had said to me. You know, he just said they kind of lose purpose, and I kind of thought, well, in a way, it becomes the proxy for purpose, right? Uh, and that's why smart companies like Unilever, you know, who's one of the leaders in the world in terms of purpose-driven business, is that Unilever really encourages each of their brands, from Dove to Ben and Jerry's, you know, household names, to come up with their own purpose. So in other words, that they really encourage each of these brands to uniquely ask, what's the problem we're solving for our clients, customers, and society? And I think that's a great model for a really diversified businesses to be, uh, to be thinking about. And then I think the third and last thing, perhaps, uh, is that I think leaders don't often um, – connect enough to the uh, legacy they really want to leave behind. When I coach executives, one of the most profound questions I find that, that begins to get them thinking differently is I ask them, you know, uh, five or 10 years from now, when you're no longer in this company, what do you want the legacy to be of what you left behind? And when you ask people what you want their legacy to be, they almost never say, you know, 50 consecutive quarters of double-digit profit growth, the stock, you know, doubled in price. It gets them thinking about the real impact they'd like to have. And Mm. I think that we, you know, we probably don't ask those kinds of questions enough that connect the humanity. Dolph Vendenbrink, one of my clients who's the CEO of Heineken Mexico, a great young CEO, you're going to hear about him for years to come. But he says, when people think about business, they have like this entirely different headset 
that they put on compared with their personal lives. Because in our personal lives, our purpose is our families and making the world better for our kids, you know, friendship, community. Then in business, it becomes all about profits. So I think if you can connect people to their personal purpose and legacy, mm. and not enough of that is done with leaders, and leaders often surround themselves with people who kind of, uh, you know, uh, think in similar ways. Right. So when we think about the work that you're doing and have written all these uh, books before we kind of get into the purpose re revolution, what would be um, some strategies for those of us that are out there listening and some are small business as well. What would be some things that we need to think about going forward to be able to sort of embrace, embrace the opportunity and move, move, move the needle in a positive way for us? What would you recommend? What are some of the thoughts there, John? Well, you know, I, I think the, 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 the first thing, and again, it doesn't matter really if your business is small or large. In fact, if you're a small business owner listening to this or a medium-sized business owner, especially if you're privately held, uh, there's no reason you shouldn't be able to do this. There's no excuse, right? You can't say, well, it was the board, it was Wall Street, right? So if anything, mm -hmm. you know, uh, th those folks ought to pay attention even more because you can do this without having to ask permission from anybody. Uh, the first, I think, is to get really clear on, on, on why you exist as a company. Uh, what, what is your purpose? What are you trying to do uh, in the world? What makes you unique? What's the real difference you're trying to make? And engage people in that conversation throughout the organization. The second thing is get really clear on a leadership philosophy that will create a, a motivating environment for people to uh, work in. Uh, one where uh, purpose is central, where leaders take an interest in people's lives, uh, where uh, we constantly focus on celebrating and recognizing, where we encourage people to bring their brain to work and share their ideas. And so get really clear on the kind of environment you're trying to create. Then third, find a way to hardwire that into your business. And, and I'll only give you one example that may help to show what I mean by that. If you're going to say serving customers is our reason for being, how are you going to hardwire that into your business? Great example, the Ritz-Carlton. They hardwire that in by having a stand-up meeting in every department, in every hotel, every day, three shifts a day, where they spend 10 to 15 minutes asking, uh, reminding themselves of their mission statement, asking how in the last 24 hours have we lived that mission statement in our department, and recognizing what they want to see more of every single day. So they've hardwired a philosophy into the business in terms of a practice. So I think those three things, why do you exist? Create a clear leadership philosophy of the kind of culture you want to create, then find a way to hardwire those intentions into the business so that it, it's not up to the whim. And again, if you're a small business or a large business, the same principles I think apply. Mm. Absolutely. It is interesting, John, and thank you for that, that uh, there's some highly paid CEOs uh, for very large companies who don't get this really at all. So I guess that's why you and I will have jobs forever. <laughs> yeah, people always say, like, are you worried about like job security? Because maybe people will get what you're talking about as much as I hope that would be true. Uh, I think it's uh, it's unlikely. And, and you know, let's not be too hard on leaders. Why, why don't we get it? It's a good question, right? 
Well, here, so it's, a, it's a, I think, a, a worthy question to ask. Well, first, we don't get it because, um, you know, we get busy, right? We get busy with short-term things. We get busy with problems instead of, you know, really thinking about our role as leaders. Most mm. leaders are way too involved in the details of the business and not nearly involved enough in defining a, an inspiring vision that people will want to help create and then creating an environment where those motivated people can succeed. That's the, you know, Jeff Mooney, the former CEO of A&W Canada, you know, told me once that there's only two things that a business owner or a CEO can't delegate to anybody else. Number one is creating an inspiring vision that motivated people will want to help create. And second, mm -hmm. he said, creating an environment in which those motivated people can succeed. And I think leaders get way too caught up in the day-to-day -day crap, whether you're a small business owner or a CEO of a big business, mm -hmm. and they forget that's, those are the two things you can't delegate to anybody else. But if you do those two things, you're probably going to be successful. So I think leaders get too focused on things that don't matter very much. I think that's part of the problem. Right. Distracted. And, and like you said, the pressure of, of sort of that Wall Street mentality. I appreciate the fact that Google's not reporting the quarterly. Uh, you know, as a consultant into retail for years, it was almost like people lived and died by 30 days. And so, you yeah. know, what, what did yeah. we sell yesterday? And uh, yeah. it's yeah. this enormous amount of pressure. And even business owners, some of my clients right now where Oh, well, last month was a good month. Now, this year we're up, but last month was not very good. Years ago, uh, you know, one of my mentors in the speaking consulting business said something to me I've never forgotten. And I think it's as applicable in every business to the point you just made as it is in a business like yours and mine. He said to me, you should spend 20% of your time every year on things that will not impact your business for at least a year. And, uh, and I've never, you know, it's like writing books, right? When you're writing a book, it, will have, it has actually a negative impact on my business in the short term because it takes time away from marketing or selling or doing work that pays money. Mm -hmm. But one or two years from now, it can make a huge difference in my business. And I think every business owner and leader should be thinking about that same principle. About 20 or 25% of the things we do will actually be costly in the short term, but will mm -hmm. actually pay off in the long term. So I think it's a great question to ask yourself, what are we doing right now in our business that we're willing to defend as a great idea, even to our shareholders, if we have to report to them? Because it's like Darren Entwistle will tell us, says to me, he's constantly trying to educate investors on why they're investing in things like building a, you know, a better network, even though it's very costly in the short term, because mm. he wants them to see that two years from now, this is going to pay off big time, but you're going to have to be patient with us. So that's part of the job of a leader in a publicly traded company mm -hmm. is to educate investors on long-term thinking, not be, you know, jerked around by it. And if you, if you're a small business owner or, or run your own business, then you don't have anybody to defend it to, but you have to think that way. Yeah, that's right. I'm going to lose Including yourself. Well, sometimes we get caught up uh, in this urgency addiction, right? And Gerber always said it in his book, The E-Myth, right? Work in your business and instead of working on it. And so, I mean, it's really what you're talking about there and how can what I'm doing right now lead 
to that. That's a good idea, John, as far as, you know, it won't even realize itself till a year from now. That's that's a good yeah, framework yeah, from that. No, it won't. In fact, it might even be detrimental in the short term, right? Because it's going to distract you from immediate profits or distract you from immediate, you know, kind of gain. But that's the way one has to think if one is thinking long term about a, a business, mm. because many of the things that will, and this is just in our lives too. Like, you know, if you want to be healthy, you know, you start going to the gym, you know, in the short term, there's a lot of things you'd probably rather do than go to the gym if you haven't been exercising. But right. three years from now, or five years from now, it will pay huge dividends. And of course you might even enjoy it two years from now, but in the short term, it's going to feel like pain. And so it's actually as applicable in our personal lives as it is in our business lives. So we, we see perhaps the analogy. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I know, uh, John, we have probably about 15 minutes left in the show. And so everybody that's listening here, I want to transition a little bit. I mean, our work, my purpose in life is to help others to live, lead, and work on purpose. And that's our company. And I've written a book around it. But you've also got a book called The Purpose Revolution. So how, just explain to you, you're moving into this, this shift here. Tell us about this, this work that you're doing in your eighth book. Yeah, yeah. And the book will not be out uh, until uh, uh, March 2nd of next year, but it is done. Uh, and it's called The Purpose Revolution, How Leaders Create Engagement and Competitive Advantage in an Age of Social Good. And the book, uh, and first, I've been speaking about and writing about purpose for a long time. You know, my first book, Awakening Corporate Soul, in, in 1994, you know, we talked in part about the role that higher purpose played in driving engagement at work and, and success in business. But, but this is a little different book. Basically, this book says, look, uh, there is a revolution of expectations happening among employees, customers, and investors all across the world, across demographic of age and gender. Mm -hmm. uh, and basically what people are saying is,